You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Gospel of Luke, Jesus for All, we walk through Luke's account of the life and ministry of Christ. Seeing Jesus' glory. That's what today is all about. And I purposely chose a video that talked about his glory, and as John Piper is one of the better ones to lay out God's glory as he's been laying it out for the last 50 years of his life. I purposely chose something that didn't stimulate your eyes. You had nothing to watch. All you had to do was listen. And see, that's, that's a huge point in our passage today. In fact, it's, it's a passage, it's, it's, it's a point that comes straight from God's own mouth. So, if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, turn with me to Luke 9. We're going to be looking at verses 28 through 36. I'm going to read those verses. It's going to be a little bit different. I'm not going to be able to walk through each thing. Today, it's probably going to be less of a notes day and more of the, okay, just let me listen. Let me just listen today. So, if you have your Bibles, you can look. Luke 9, 28 through 36. I'll read it, and I'll pray, and then we'll dive in. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. Remember those sayings was last week that he is the Christ of God. As he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And a voice had spoken. Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray today that we will see your glory. And that is an absolute supernatural event. Father, I pray as they listen to your word, as they listen to you, listen to what you have given me this past week. Lord, I pray as they listen with the eyes of their heart, they will see your glory because it will forever change them. Just as all week you've been changing me. Father, I I pray today that we can leave here today with our hearts broken about those that John Piper was talking about that has not seen your glory yet. And Lord, you have chosen us to be the instruments to go and tell. I pray that we will catch that vision today. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, one of the great tragedies of the church history happened in the early part of the 20th century. Many of the great thinkers of the church in North America and Europe came to this astounding conclusion that Christianity is in trouble and that they need to do something about it. 
Now, we all know that whenever man thinks that they need to help God out, things just does not usually go all that well whenever that happens. Now, as we have come out of a pandemic, we've moved past the pandemic, there has been a lot of reports and, and, and things put out there about how the church is dead and secularism is, is triumphed and people are leaving the church and this, that, and the other. Now, I, I honestly believe that there's two reasons for these reports. One, they make money for those who are spelling out doom and gloom because I'm pretty sure my Bible says that the church cannot be defeated because Jesus is the rock of the church. It's the foundation that the church is built on. It's not about man, it's about Jesus. And I think the other part of it is this. The American church shows the effects of buying into what those early 20th century century thinkers proposed as a fix. And so now you're like, okay, what did they propose as a fix, Joe? What was their big idea? Well, their big idea was this after the Enlightenment, because modern people are unable to accept the supernatural, because science will explain everything for us. The only hope for Christianity is to take out the supernatural elements. It's just to remove them altogether. And now all we have is man-made things. We have churches that are ran like CEO corporations and are not driven by the prayer and the power of God. We've bought into this. We take the supernatural out. Now, I know that there's danger here. Whenever I say the supernatural, you can think up different things that you see on TV in different churches that, that that's all they talk about. And I think they're in a very healthy, unhealthy place. In fact, I would think many times they swerve into blasphemy. But there is a supernatural element to Christianity. In fact, it's all supernatural. None of us are sitting here today unless some supernatural act did not come upon our hearts. But this is their fix, which causes many problems. Instead of an infallible Bible, you have some ancient human writings, some good, some bad. That's all the Bible becomes. It's just some good and bad ancient writings. And we get to pick and choose whatever we want to believe whatever we want to set aside. Instead of Jesus, who is the incarnate deity, born of a virgin, you have just a good teacher. He's just a good moral teacher. You should kind of listen to him. He's one of many good teachers. If you take supernatural out instead of a resurrection, that is a miracle, and it happened in history and time and space, which is there is a ton of physical and real evidence that this happened because it did happen. You just have a beautiful symbol. Just a symbol that we talk about if we take the supernatural out. But here's the thing. Most importantly, and this is most importantly for you and I, and maybe you've kind of walked this path, you've been taught this, you've been walking this way, and you're trying to get out, or maybe just today's your day to, to come out of it. Instead of becoming a Christian through being born again, which is the only way that you become a Christian, it's, it's a supernatural act happened by the Holy Spirit, you have Christianity that just means being a good person and living a good life. That's not Christianity. You can find lots of places to do that. In other words, if you take the supernatural elements out of Christianity, you don't just tweak it a little bit, you have a different religion. You have, in, in fact, it's already been dubbed, and this is many years ago, you have what Christian Smith has rightly described as a moralistic therapeutic deism. 
And boy, in 2023, many churches and many places lean into that therapeutic part. They want you to come in. They want to make sure that you feel good about yourself. This idea of moralistic therapeutic deism is a belief in a God who remains distant from people's lives. He's distant. He's out there somewhere. Oh, he saved me. Wonderful. That's great. He's out there somewhere. I get to go do whatever I want. I get to go live for whatever purpose I determine. It's all about me because he's out there. The second thing is people are supposed to be too good to each other. They're moral, moralistic, therapeutic deism. The deism is the part that God is out there. The universal purpose of life, and boy, this is big. This is big. Any time that you open social media or anything that's on TV, here's the, big, here's the big message. The universal purpose of life is being happy and feeling good about oneself. There's, abs- there's no absolute moral truths in this moralistic therapeutic deism. And the final one, God allows good people into heaven. What determines that? What determines a good person? We have those battles. We have those um, conversations on how people look at the Bible and decide what is good and what is not. Which just takes us right back to Genesis. Does it not? In Genesis 3. And what history has revealed is this. Here's what history has taught us. All of the places in the world where the supernatural has been removed... The churches are in terrible decline. In any place in the world where traditional, classical, historical, supernatural Christianity is held. In other words, that there's, there's a belief that something is happening right now as I am speaking. That the Holy Spirit is working in your hearts. It's not because how awesome Joe is or whoever stands behind the pulpit. It's because of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit working in us. Any player where that belief is, is moving forward, the church is growing by leaps and bounds. There are more Presbyterians in Korea going to church than there are in the United States and Scotland put together. There are more Episcopalians and Anglicans in Nigeria than there are going to church in all the United States and England put together. See, we, we have this really small view, not only of God, but of the, of the church, capital C church. I mean, God is doing things all around this globe. We just gotta, we gotta actually just pay attention a little bit. It's amazing all the things that he is doing. The thing is, is that same God is doing all these amazing things in Nigeria, in Korea, in different places. Well, he's right here with us today. He wants to do the same for you. But because the supernatural has been removed, we have boiled down Christianity to just a certain set of beliefs. You have churches without power. Now, I'm not saying that Christianity is a set of beliefs. It is doctrine. Absolutely. There's things that you must understand and believe to be true. But it's much more than that. It's not less than a set of beliefs. But if Christianity is only a set of beliefs, then we're without power. You have people that are in bondage. You have people that have these beliefs and they turn these beliefs and what they do is they try to work their way to heaven or they try to do the right things to make sure that they are going to heaven. And what happens is they're in bondage. You have people without power. 
And you have people who are really not Christians. You have people who have never really worshipped. And I'm not talking about bringing the lights down low and singing a bunch of songs about yourself and how God's going to bless you and how God's going to do everything for you. No, that's why very purposefully every song that we sing here, do you notice the subject of the song? It's God. It's not us. We're worshiping Him. We're worshiping Him. People that have never really worshiped. They've come in and they felt good, all good, warm and fuzzy about themselves. But they have never really worshiped. Not Again, I'm not talking about those moments. And they even happen in the songs that we have where you're just, you feel like you're not even here. That's worshiping. I'm talking about true worship. A true worship only happens when we see his glory. And seeing his glory only happens supernaturally. True worship happens whenever we see his glory. When we sing about being forgiven, when we sing about how, what the cost was in order for us to have forgiveness, we are seeing his glory. This is what our passage is about today. The transfiguration, the, the glory of God on display so that we can truly worship. My prayer has been that you will see his glory today. Just as the disciples saw him. Notice that they, when they woke up, they, they saw his glory along with Elijah and Moses. They saw his glory. You know what? They needed to see his glory, just like some of you today need to see his glory. We know the disciples had all the right belief. We talked about that last week. Jesus said, Who do people say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ of God. Right beliefs. So the disciples came up with right beliefs. They arrived at the right beliefs. Many of you are good, enlightened people, have used your reason, and have come up with the right beliefs, or you probably would not be sitting here today. But my question to you is, has those beliefs become real enough that they lead you to worship? Have they become real enough to change the way you live? To define who you are? Are they real enough to see where your identity comes from? And worship just don't only happen on Sunday morning. It happens when you're deciding what you do with your time. It happens when you're staring at the choice to sin or not. Will you bring glory to God or will you do what makes you feel good? The disciples know who Jesus is. He is more than a teacher. He's the son of God. He's the Messiah. Those are all right beliefs. But it is not until this incident that these beliefs are real to them. Jesus takes them up to the mountain to pray, as he often does. As we've seen over and over again in Luke, Jesus is praying, praying before he acts. Praying before he does anything. And what happens? They fall asleep. And though they know he's the son of God, his greatness is not real to them. 
A good definition of worship is this. Worship is when things you might believe become real. Worship is when things you might believe become real. If you're a member at Mountain City Church, you went through an elder interview. And if you went through an elder interview with me, this is my question that I'm trying to dig down to. When did your beliefs become real? I mean, your testimony can't just be, I grew up in church, I've always been to church. When did you see that Jesus was the Son of God and you were a sinner and you need his salvation? When did your beliefs actually become real? That's what we're digging at in that elder interview. When did they become real? And for most of us, it is at that point, is it not? It is at that point when we actually see the separation between us and God and how our sin has separated us. Not sins, not the fruit that hangs on our tree, but sin, the root thing that has separated us from God. Then things start becoming real. Because then you actually realize that you are separated and you need a Savior. This is when you begin to worship. Just like the disciples, you had the right beliefs, but something woke you up. Perfect picture of worship. The disciples woke up and they saw the glory of Jesus. Worship is waking up, and waking up comes to us supernaturally. I can't, I can't convince you to do it. I, I can't convince you. I can't stand up here and yell long enough for it to happen to you. I can't bring you forward and, and bring people around and pray it and pray it and pray it into you. No, it's all done by God. It's all done by God. Worship is waking up. And waking up comes to us supernaturally. Let me give you a few tests just so you're tracking with me before we dive into see the glory of Christ. Some of you will say, I believe God has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. Some of you are living this right now. So you have a terrible self-image, and you're always trying to earn man's approval, trying to validate your worth. But you say, I believe that God has forgiven me, that all my shame and all my guilt has been taken away. You say you believe that, but you're still living this out. What is happening here? What is happening is you say you believe it, but it's not real to you. His forgiveness is not real. Have you truly experienced his forgiveness? Is it real to you? Some of you are, are just scared. You're, you're filled with worry all the time. Do you believe God is sovereign? God is good? God is working all things for your good? Well, of course I believe that. The Bible tells me that. I've been taught that all my life. I believe that. Yes, you believe, but is it real to you? Because why are you worrying? Why are you so anxious? Now, don't hear me wrong. We're humans in a fallen world with a lot of stuff happening around us. We'll get anxious. We'll get worried. We'll have these things, but do they control us? You are a new creature in Christ with the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Do you believe it? Is it real to you? Is it real? 
See, the difference between a religious person and a Christian is worship. The difference between a religious person and a Christian is somebody to whom these truths have become real. They are real. Which means the answer to many of our problems is worship. If you are afraid, if you are discouraged, if you can't forgive yourself, the ultimate solution is you need to worship. And worshiping is seeing his glory. Until you worship, those things are not going away. And again, worshiping is seeing his glory. When the disciples woke up, they saw his glory. And the the word glory in the Bible, to to kind of flush it out some more so you can see how, how we live this out, how it becomes real to us. The word glory in the Bible means weight. It's weighty. It's his glory. It has weight to it. So how does, how, does, how does worship, seeing his glory, help me with my worry today? It's this. When you are worried, here's what's happening in you. You are giving circumstances more weight than the wisdom of God. When you're worried, when you're filled with anxiety, you are giving your circumstances more weight than the wisdom of God. And the activator, the, the, the conduit is faith. Are you trusting and believing in the wisdom of God? Why do you fear man? Because you give more weight to man's opinion of you than God's opinion of you. You're not seeing his glory. You're not worshiping. Why are you anxious? Because you give more weight to your ability to control things than God's ability to control things. Let's let's just boil it down and, and we'll step on everybody's toes at once. If the holiness of God was real to you, you would have no trouble with self-control. And we struggle with that. All of us in some area. Because again, we're not fully perfected yet. We're a work in progress. But if we get if we get the way that we're going to be able to overcome these things wrong, then we're just going to be going around the mountain thousands and thousands of times. It's about seeing who he is, seeing his glory. It changes us. I know it's counterproductive. I know that the world around us is very therapeutic and they're telling us, no, you've got to talk through this, you've got to say this. It's like, no, Christian counseling, if you come to me for counseling, the Bible does all the work. I'm not here to talk everything through with you. I'm here to listen to you, to pray about it, to go to Scripture, say, here's Scripture, this is what the Word says. Do you believe it or not? Is it real to you or not? And I've had people that's like, ah, I'm, I'm done. I'm not doing this. Continue to pray for them. I don't have any magic pills. I have the Word of God and the Spirit of God. That's the main counselor. That's what we have. And it works so wonderfully. If the love of God is real to you, you would have no trouble with self-pity, rejection, and criticism. They would not devastate you because you are God's child. You are his child. Do you, do you see? 
Do you see his, his glory? Yes, your belief structure is important. Reason is very important. We want to use our minds. Like Romans 12 tells us to renew your mind, right? Pretty sure Jen Wilkins says that your heart can't love what your mind don't understand or something to that effect. I think I'm close. I shouldn't be throwing quotes out like that. I need to write them down. Do you see? Your belief structure is important. Reason is very important. But man, we need to worship. Joe, how are we to see? How are we to see this? Jesus isn't walking around anymore. How are we to see God's glory so that we can worship, so that all of these things can be swallowed up that we struggle with? Well, God the Father tells us in this passage. He tells us today. And it comes counterintuitive to what we would come up with, which often the Bible does. But it's actually pretty simple. What does he say in verse 35? And a voice came out of the clouds saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Listen to him. Well, wait a minute. You're, you're saying to see the glory of Jesus is by listening? Yes. What exactly is going on here? Well, the Bible is clear. And there are many passages that says that through listening, through hearing the word, through reading the word, this is how we see his glory. The most clearest passage is 1 Samuel 3.21. It says this, And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. By the word. He was revealed his glory. The first two verbs, appeared and revealed, sounds like seeing verbs, things that we do with our eyes. Then you get this, by the word of the Lord. By the word of the Lord. Which I take to mean we see with our ears. <laughs> we see with our ears. The eyes of the heart see with the ears. Which is why the Bible says faith comes by hearing. The eyes of our heart see through hearing. That's why when, you know, everyone says, you know, show them the gospel, use words if necessary, stop it. <laughs> you have to use words or they'll never see the gospel. It's through listening that the Holy Spirit works in our hearts to change people from dead to life, from dark to light. That's how it happens, through hearing. Piper says this, when you hear the gospel, statements made with mouths, Articulated with brains, landing on eardrums that go into the brain, and thus you transfer statements about Christ crucified. That is the instrument that the Holy Spirit will use to grant sight to the eyes of the heart. Pretty fascinating. That God would use the foolishness of preaching to change people. To change people. We see with the eyes of our heart which comes to us through listening. <laughs> That's why he chose preaching. This is a supernatural event. And this is why those early church thinkers were so wrong. You cannot remove the supernatural. So I just pray for the next 15 minutes, something supernatural will happen for you. I pray that God through his spirit will make what you believe become real as we hear with the eyes of our heart, 
Jesus' glory on display. On a mountain, the disciples have an experience, a supernatural experience. Many of the imagery of this experience may sound familiar. Lightning, clouds, the voice of God. This imagery points us back to Exodus. And just so you know, I am not trying to stretch the connection or make a connection out of turn. The topic of conversation between Moses, Elijah, and Jesus was his departure. Guess what the Greek word for departure is? Exodus. If you remember, the Exodus was where God liberated the children of Israel from Egypt. But he did so mainly through the glory cloud. He did it through this glory cloud. In the daytime, it looked like a pillar of column of white smoke or cloud, but at night it shone with its own fiery glory from inside. The glory cloud kept Pharaoh's army from coming after Israel. The glory cloud led the children of Israel to Mount Sinai, and then when they got up to Mount Sinai, the glory cloud came down on the top of Mount Sinai. And you have all the same things, lightning and cloud and the voice of God and glory. So what was the glory cloud? The glory cloud was a sign, a representation of the transcendence and the majesty and the greatness of God. The glory and the cloud and the brightness were ways of expressing the transcendence and majesty and power of God. So what is this doing here? What is the meaning of this text? The answer is really quite astounding. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai in Exodus 33, we're told his face shone, but it was shining with a reflected light. It was partial. It was fading because it was reflected. It was reflected glory. In some ways, you might say Moses was like the moon because the moon shines with reflected light. But this passage is telling us Jesus is the Son. He is the one that's giving out the light. It is His glory that is giving out the light. What's amazing here is the glory does not come down, it comes out. It doesn't flash down from the sky. It emanates from Jesus. It comes from inside of him. Jesus is the source of it. You don't have these lightning flashes. You know, a lightning flash is brilliant light, and then it's over. No, he was radiating. He was glowing, so to speak. But it says Jesus' actual body, his clothes and his face emanated the super brilliant glory, and it was sustained. Maybe a picture of what's going to happen in the new heavens and new earth when they tell us that we don't need no light anymore because his glory will light up everything. Jesus is the source of it. What that means is this. The glory cloud in the Old Testament was a partial, provisional, remarkable, helpful presentation of the glory of God. But Jesus is the glory of God. He is the glory of God. That's why it says in Hebrews 1, Jesus is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his being. Do you want to see the glory of God? Look at Jesus. Listen to Jesus. There are all these interesting representations, but Jesus Christ is the exact representation of who God is. He is the glory of God. He is the perfect unsurpassable, unique, final revelation of the being of God. He tells us who he is in a way nothing else does. Jesus, according to the Bible, is the exact representation of his glory. Again, this is not a reflected glory. It emanates from him. 
He is the source of glory. He is God hitting the eyes of your soul. He is God come out and hitting the eyes of our heart. He is the ultimate way to understand who God is. Nothing surpasses. He's the perfect representation of who God is. This is such good news for us. We are made in God's image. We are made in his image, not as God's image. This means if you want to find your true identity, you can't find it on social media. You can't find it on what maybe the campus tells you that you are or your parents say that you are. If you want to try and find your true identity, you don't look in the mirror. And please don't look inside as the culture is teaching you to do. Our authenticity comes from God, not from our feelings. If you want to see who you truly are, then you need to see God for who he truly is. Because you were made in his image. Yes, we are not perfectly there. We are working in sanctification. One day we'll be glorified. But if you truly want to find your identity, then you need to know and look at and stare at who God is. Because you were made in his image. It's pretty remarkable. If you want to see your true identity, look at Jesus. That's who you are. And yes, everyone, including me, I have lots of ways in any ways that I'm not there yet. But you know what? He loves me and he's moving me there. And, and by me seeing who he is and his glory and seeing that I am made in that image, that helps my heart to lay down the things that the flesh wants and it feeds the spirit inside of me and therefore I can overcome worry. I can overcome anxiety. I can overcome fear of man. That's how it works. It's pretty amazing. As we listen to the word of God, it awakens the eyes of our heart to see who Jesus is. It begins to change us into our true identity. Your life will not flourish. You will never have true joy. You will never be satisfied until you rest in your true identity in Jesus Christ. Just two more implications as I wind down that we can see from the rest of the text. First, Jesus Christ is not one more prophet like Moses and Elijah. I think Nate alluded to this a little bit. Jesus Christ is not one more prophet trying to get near to God. He is the God of all the other prophets are trying to get near. Peter helps us with this. He's about to put his foot back in his mouth. Remember, Peter loves to do this. Like we got the rare occasion where he took his foot out of his mouth and said, you are the Christ of God last week. But now he's going to stick it right back in. In verse 33, and as the men were parting with him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. See, here's what Peter's doing. He's trying to make the glory last. He wanted to hold on to this mountaintop experience. He wanted the glory of Jesus to keep shining. He wanted to find a way to keep Moses and Elijah up on the mountain. So he offered to build three tents or tabernacles. Immediately after this, God the Father responds. And a voice came out in the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And guess what? After they hear the voice and all everything clears, there's one person there. And Jesus stands alone. Because he's not one of many prophets, he is the prophet. He is the one that everyone's pointing to. He is everything that the whole scripture is pointing to. It's him. 
Jesus is not one more prophet or teacher or sage in a row. He's not fit into any booth. He cannot fit him into any hall of fame. He is not one among many. He is utterly unique. The claim that the glory comes from him, that his face does not radiate like Moses did with the reflected glory, but he is the glory of God. He is the glory of God. He is the glory cloud. He is the exact representation. The other implication is that the only real Jesus is a supernatural Jesus, a transfigured Jesus, a glorious Jesus. The one thing this is telling us is unmistakable ways is that this is not just a human being. Oh, he is human being, but he's not just a human being. He's a supernatural being who was born miraculously into the world. He lived miraculously every single day of his life, and he was raised from the dead miraculously. We cannot take the supernatural out of Christianity. He's supernatural from front to back. Do you see his glory? Has his glory become real to you? Do you see the glory of the gospel right here in this passage? The gospel is found in the cloud. Nobody could touch the cloud and live. Nobody could touch the cloud back in Exodus and live. The cloud represents God's glory. What did God tell Moses about seeing his glory? He says, if you see my glory, I, I can't show it fully to you or you will die. You will die. Man cannot see my glory and live. He cannot see my glory and live until now. Jesus is his glory. There is a chasm that needs to be bridged. It was just so wonderful when Eric was giving his testimony, and at the very end he was giving the gospel, and he was talking about this, and, and I'm like, oh, this is already written. This is so cool. If you really try, trust, just try to touch God, you'll start to become aware of your faults and your flaws and your inadequacies and your cowardice and your dishonesty and your selfishness, and you'll start to realize there's a gap that has to be bridged. There's a gap that has to be bridged. So everybody knows there's a problem. So here comes the glory cloud, and they're scared. What happens? An amazing thing happens. They don't die. They live. The glory cloud comes around them, and they live. What this is showing us is that Jesus is the bridge that takes us across the gap. This is telling us Christianity is different than any other religion on the face of the earth because everything all other religions say you must do to bridge the gap. What must you do to bridge that cap, gap? But Christianity says, no, Christ is bridging the gap. He is the bridge. So when you believe in God through Jesus, when you approach God through Jesus, when you just take hold and rest and trust in not your record, not your transformation of, of consciousness, not your sacrifices, but His, the Holy Spirit, the glory of God, can come into your life. This is possible because of the Exodus. Jesus' departure. The death and resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate Exodus. Moses only liberated the people from economic and social oppression. But Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has liberated us from sin and death and hell. He's not just the God on the other side of the gap. He is the bridge over the gap. Have you listened today? Has the eyes of your heart been awakened today to the glory of God that is Jesus Christ? Worship him today. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, thank you so much. The Christ is the bridge. As we sang, holy, 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 we cannot come close to you. But through Jesus, we can. And right here, right now, each one of us can draw right to your throne, can come right to the cross. I pray today that we have seen his glory. I pray that we have seen his glory. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.